You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Let's turn our Bibles over to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We're going to pick up in verse 9. Chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is discussing wisdom, the topic of wisdom, and he's really considering the value of wisdom in light of the evil that is in the world. He is uh, exploring the problem of evil in the world by examining three key areas of life. One was authority. That's what we went through in verses 1 through 9. Remember, he talked about the wise man or a wise leader, and he gave all these attributes. Like the wise man, he's going to understand that God is good and that evil is part of a fallen world. It's even part of human government to kind of refresh our memories there. The wise leader will recognize this, and he will conduct himself in an appropriate manner. The wise man or the wise leader, he would say, will not alarm those they oversee. He's going to be a calming influence. The wise man, the wise leader, will be obedient to the government, knowing that government is an institution of God. The wise man will obey and respect those in authority. He's, you know, he, he will avert harm. He'll be wise with his tongue, the wise man, the wise leader, in dealing with authority He's going to be wise in when he brings things up and how he brings things up and what he brings up. The wise man knows the best course of action, how to apply it. The wise man will rest in the fact that they don't know all of the facts like those in authority over their life. The wise man is aware that no leader can accurately predict the future. Only God can do that. Thus, he's not going to put unrealistic expectations on their leaders. The wise man, the wise leader will understand that no man can escape the consequences of his wickedness. And then that brings us to verse 9. All those first principles of verses 1 through 8, the wise man, wise leader, he ponders these things. Then just hear him. He ponders them. Like Solomon, they, they will apply their heart to these things and realize that this was all part of life on the earth under the sun. Life on earth under the curse. That's the idea. When he uses that, that phrase, life down here as we know it today. We know that Ecclesiastes is Solomon, this wise man, and he is throughout this book pondering life, looking for meaning and value out of life, leaving God out of the equation. And what conclusions does he draw? And then he will, from time to time, I believe four times, bring God into the equation and, and show you the contrast um, in those settings. So the, the, the first thing that Solomon was looking at here was, was, was wisdom as far as how it plays out in an evil world in the realm of authority. The second thing he focuses on here in the next few verses is, is he's looking at inequity. He's looking at like, wisdom and how it's playing out in this evil world. And he's like, Let's, let's look at the inequity that I see as I'm looking at the world, first and foremost, with God out of the equation. And again, this is a question that um, Solomon hits from time to time in Proverbs and again in Ecclesiastes, and it's something that we land on quite a bit. The question of why is it that, that, that good, <laughs> good people seem to get what maybe the wicked deserve and wicked people seem to get what the good people deserve, it's kind of where he's going with this. Verse 10, then I saw the wicked buried 
who had come and gone from the place of holiness, and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This also is vanity. We're going to read up the verse 14, then I'll come back. I'll circle back. Because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days which are as a shadow, because he does not fear before God. This is vanity, which occurs on earth, that there are just men. This is the, the, the key verse that kind of summarizes this. It's just emptiness. It's vanity on earth. That there are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. <laughs> I just said again, this is all vanity. Solomon often, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he, he, he reflects back on something he saw or somewhere that he actually went, whether it was to the temple, whether it was to the marketplace. Here, he actually goes to a funeral. He, he recalls going to, to a funeral. And, and, and his attention is, is drawn to a couple of different things. Number one, his attention is drawn to the deceased, and he, he remembers that the guy was an evil guy, but he was an evil guy that was a churchgoer, an evil man who had frequented the temple, the place of holiness. And he had received all kinds of praise from the people who were eulogizing him at his funeral, but he had not lived a godly life. That's the first Observation. Now, application. As you know, I, I myself officiate a number of funerals and, and memorial services and gravesite services and whatnot. And, and when we, we sit down with the family and we, 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 we step into their world and we begin to talk about the plans that they have for a service, we, we go through an outline, we get some suggestions, and part of the service is the part where family and, and friends will get up and eulogize their loved one. It's a, it, they give a eulogy. The word eulogy means to speak well of. And so, you know, I can't tell you how many hundreds, maybe even thousands of times I have sat down, well, into the thousand, more than thousand, I would believe, sat down and, and heard a eulogy. Most of the time they are uplifting Man, sometimes they can be humorous. If a person is serious in their walk of faith with, with, with Christ, man, it can be absolutely just spiritually uplifting. It, it will build your faith. And, and, and we've had some that are also a bit difficult to sit through. You realize that as they're talking about the person that is deceased, that person didn't live the best of lives. If someone begins to stretch the truth, I can see it in the body language of the, of the congregation. I can sit back and watch and go, I'm not think they're buying it right now. It's just that there, there's a stretch going on here, you know. And sometimes 
people are just working it. They're working really, really hard to make up something good on this person. This is what Solomon is observing. The deceased, again, is a, is a wicked person, yet he's given this like, magnificent funeral with just these eloquent eulogies, everyone getting up and speaking just great things about this guy, like he's the greatest guy. But he wasn't. He was, in, he was an evil guy. And no one was being truthful about his evil practices. Also, he draws our attentions to, to, to others in the city who were, who were not wicked. These are the good people. And Solomon says, the evil guy is getting all these awesome reviews as being the good guy, while the good guys are totally ignored. They are, they are forgotten. They were forgotten in the city where they had done so. While the truly godly people in the city are being ignored and forgotten, Solomon's like, this evil guy, is getting praised. And Solomon just goes, that's vanity. Now remember, again, he's looking at life and he's looking for meaning and fulfillment out of life, this guy that has incredible wisdom, incredible wealth, incredible power. And he's looking at life and he's saying, I, I, what's meaning, meaningful and what's fulfilling in my life? And he looks at this one idea and he's like, you know what? I got a problem here. <laughs> this just... This does not fulfill me. <laughs> this does not, without, without God in the equation here, I'm not fulfilled when I see this. I'm frustrated when I see this. This is not meaningful when I see this. And he would say in verse 11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. So Solomon's reflecting on the matter and and, and he realizes that the deceased man had, had continued. His conclusion was this guy continued in his sin, in his evil practices, because he thought he was getting away with it. And how many people do we know today in and around our lives that they're doing things that you might even label as, that's just not good, that's not right, that's evil, it's unrighteous, it's unholy, it's wicked. And oftentimes they're running headlong after that because in their mind they think, you know, I haven't got caught yet. I'm just, I'm getting away with that. And, 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 and even some good people think that because justice is not paid on, on evil people immediately, and even people are actually getting away with the evil practices. Solomon, this wise man, is thinking through all of this. But the question is, are they really? We don't know entirely what is going on in the hearts of evil people that are practicing evil. We don't know what is going on when they try to fall asleep, and they can't. We don't know or see the hell that they are living in because of the evil lives that they practice. Proverbs 13, 5 in the King James Version says, the way of the transgressor is hard. Nobody gets a hall pass on that. The way of the transgressor is hard. Proverbs 29.6 says, By transgression, an evil man is snared. Now, we might not see the snare. We might not see what is hard on the evil person. But that doesn't mean that it's not there. It's there. Listen to these words of Isaiah. Familiar. 
Isaiah 59, 1 3, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For his, so think about this, what we're reading here. For, his, for your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has mustered, uh, muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for the truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. They hatch vipers' eggs and weave spiders' webs. He who eats of their eggs dies. And from that which is crushed, a viper breaks out. Their webs will not become garments, nor will they cover themselves with their words. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their minds. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known. And there is no justice in their, their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. That's God's word. We, we might not see the effects of their evil practices. We might not see the snare. The hardship that comes. It's going on in their mind, within their heart, the lack of peace. But it is there. We might not see God's judgment upon the life of an evil person, but it is there in this life, and it will be there in the life to come. Sunday morning, I was, I had seven minutes left. I looked up and I go, oh. And, and where I was going with this message on eternity was just to, to read through Revelation chapter 21. I was just going to read through a section of it where it says, you know, then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. This is what we're talking about Sunday morning, eternal state. And he said to me, write for these things, are, 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 these words are faithful and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. Now, I stopped there because I felt the Holy Spirit say, stop there and give an invitation. So I did. And I got to my office, and I was like, man, I just felt so like I had something else to say. And I, and I just looked again at where the rest of that was going, and this is where it was going. It says, now, uh, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he should be my son. We stop there. Verse 8, but the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the sexual immoral and the sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their place in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We might see evil today, something that's just evil, someone practicing evil, and, and they're getting away with it. It seems like they just keep getting away with it. We're going to have people that come into our mind right now, public figures right now. We're like, man, how do they keep getting away with this? And we don't understand that, that, that the judgment of God is upon their life, whether it's something they're experiencing emotionally, spiritually, physically, relationally. And if they don't repent, what is waiting for them eternally? That is upon their life. Now, if you look at all of the evil practices of evil people and you leave God out of the equation, 
You are, as Solomon is doing here, you're stuck seeing the inequity of the world. Bring God into the equation, and things begin to look a whole lot different. He sees every evil deed, whether, you know, it's shared at a eulogy or not. The evil are not getting away with anything with, when it comes to God. Some people bring God into the equation and say, why does God not wipe out all evil right now in the world? Be careful, <laughs> because we're quick to judge everyone else's evil. Why doesn't God wipe out every sinner? Now, be careful, because we're quick to judge other people's sin. How many of us are, are grateful and long-suffering towards others? Perfectly, you are. I didn't mean to make you raise your hands because I don't know what that means about every of you that didn't raise your hands. But we, we, we like to be that way. We would like people to, <coughs> to see us that way. And, and do, don't we want people to be gracious and long-suffering towards us? Yeah? You guys with me tonight? Yeah, okay. Just making sure. Got you in the back, Manny. How many of you are grateful that God is patient and long-suffering with you? Yeah. He's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. I can think back of some really lame, evil stuff I've done in my life. I'm like, man, I'm so glad God was patient with me. And there is a wage to sin. There is consequences. The thing we've got to understand is that God's mercy and God's patience must not be used as an excuse for man's rebellion. Verse 12, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. Now again, this is one of those passages where Solomon is contemplating an aspect of life with God out of the equation, then he brings God into the equation. This is what he's trying to do. Figure out the meaning of life. First, without God. Then bring God into the equation. And I find it interesting that this very wise man, who, who over and over through his life, through different circumstances that he brings up within his life, different settings, different relationships, different aspects of his life, as he's trying to figure out life by leaving God out of the equation, because he's so wise, he ends up stumbling upon God and thinking about God and bringing God into the equation. It just kind of hit me as I was reading this and studying this today. He continued this conclusion, and his conclusion was that the wicked will eventually be judged and the righteous will eventually be rewarded. So it's just better. <laughs> so wise man's like, it's just better to, to fear the Lord and live a godly life. Would any wise people agree with that? Amen. Yes. The evil man may live longer and, or, or whatever than the godly man. He may appear to get away with the sin, with the evil. He may even be more prosperous and whatnot. But the day of judgment will come and the wicked man will not escape. It's, it's, it's wisdom that points that way for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, as Solomon said a few times in Proverbs. 
He is telling those who fear God, listen, don't ever stop fearing God. And so the beginning of, of wisdom, as we know in the book of Proverbs, is, is the fear of the Lord. And as we've talked about that over and over, what does that mean? It's, it's not to live in dread of God might hurt me. or you know, it's, it's speaking of a, a loving reverence for who God is, for what God has done, for what God has said, and then lining my life up with that. That's what it is. That's the fear of God. Hey, I fear hurting God. I could fear grieving the Holy Spirit. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Word of God says this, and, and, and I line my life up with this, and that, that, that blesses God. But when I don't line my life up with that, sin comes into my life. I am now practicing sin, and, and that grieves the Holy Spirit because sin has a separating effect between me and God. And so I, I fear that that I would grieve the Holy Spirit. I fear that I would, I would do something negative to my relationship with God. I fear that. If you were of the persuasion that I am, that I could be a prodigal, that I could walk away from God, that I could get to a point where someone would need to turn me back. <laughs> I fear that day. I fear that day of coming to a place where Romans talks about where I'm past feeling, where I'm past the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes I'm counseling people and, 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 and as I read Scripture, what do you think the Word of God is? I shine God's Word and that part of God's Word on that issue in their life. What's this telling you? And if they're not convicted about that, that's scary to me. I fear that. And when, when, when I've, you know, sat down with people that have really done damage to their marriage. I see the damage. I fear that. I, there's, a, there's a healthy fear. God, I don't want that to happen to my marriage. I don't want that to happen to my wife, to my family. I don't want that. That is a godly fear. That's what it means to live, to line myself up with a conviction to, to what God's word says and, and, and to, to line myself up with that. So Saul, so he's like, as I'm contemplating life, man, when, when you bring God or keep God out of the equation, you, you just come to some really bizarre conclusions. They're not good conclusions. So he's like, don't ever stop fearing God. Don't ever stop losing your respect for God because you see evil people doing evil and it seems like they're getting away with it. You know, we just can't make sense of this world apart from God, can we? Again, Solomon, looking for the meaning and fulfillment in life under the sun without God in the equation, he concludes that it's empty and it's meaningless and it's vanity. Anyone today that is on that same quest, they're really looking for the meaning and fulfillment of life. They're really honest. And if they're really, they'll find it because real meaning and fulfillment in life is Jesus Christ. And so if you're really on that quest, that's where it will lead you. It will bring you face-to-face -face with the source of life. Bios or zoe. Physical life, spiritual life, or eternal life. And it's when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, that's when we begin to experience life as it was meant to live. That's when we begin to experience true meaning and true fulfillment. 
until then, it's all vanity. It's just vanity. If we reject the Word of God, we reject God's view on life. If we reject the Word of God, listen, we reject God's philosophy on life. And if we reject God, our Creator, we as created beings are now left to come up with our own philosophy on life. Think through that a little bit. I am so glad that in raising my girls, I didn't have to come up with some philosophy on the origin of life. Now, just think through that a little bit. You know, they're like six years old, and they're trying to understand, you know, where did I come from? And I'm, I'm starting to talk about now, now marriage and family and procreation and all those things when they get to that age, and, and I'm starting to talk about, like, creation, the source of life. If I take the Bible out of that and I take just God's plan for life out of that and I, I, I'm coming up with my own, I might come up with something that is so far out there that my girls would just sit me and go, okay. I could sit down and I could pull Darwin's book out. Go, well, here's another guy. He ruled God out. Now here's his idea. Now, God didn't create you. You, you, there was just, you know, billions and billions, and I, I didn't put enough bees in front of the billions. And years ago, there's just this big bang, and I'd have to reenact that somehow because they're six years old. And it's, you know, but, but where'd I come from? From that. And it's somehow through all of this stuff, you know, you just get all the way down to like the, the primeval ooze that washed up on the shore and just rubbed enough on the sand to where that little primeval ooze formed an eyeball. And all, and all of a sudden, they're like, Wow. And, and they are completely, listen, they're completely now building one of the most important principles of their life, where they came from, on the philosophy of a created being that's fallen and has ruled God out. Now what happens when you begin to talk about marriage? Now what happens when you begin to talk about family? I am, I am so glad that I don't have to to, to come up with the origin of life. I don't have to come up where, where, with the where's this all headed. I, I am so glad that when I get to sit down with this dear sister tomorrow and talk about these difficult circumstances, I don't have to make up something as to what life is beyond death. I am so glad that that's not my philosophy, but I can open up God's word and say, this is the word of God. You understand that? I don't have to come up with the meaning of truth. Here's truth. I can point you to the person that is truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's not me. You say, Lance, what's truth? I'm going to follow everything you say. I'm going to point you to Jesus. I'm going to point you to his word. I'm so glad that I don't have to come up with truth. I'm so glad that I do not have to come up with what is right and wrong. I don't have to do that. I do not have to come up with, with, I don't have to make things up as I go. I don't have to make up marriage. I don't have to, I don't have to make up what it is. I don't, I don't have to do that. I don't have to make up the idea of family. I don't have to need to, to come up with the answers of, of, of life and death and all of this stuff. I don't even have to make up a philosophy and, and, and make sense out of a helicopter crash that took place on Sunday. I don't have to do that. We have the word of God. I'm so glad I don't have to come up 
with all of the answers. My philosophy that I would have to give to someone when they've hit something so much bigger than them. Think of the pressure that would be on your shoulders if everything we just talked about rests upon your philosophy. Think of the weight. Think about the pressure. You don't want to be that person. But that's the person who tries to live life leaving God out of the equation. And it will produce exactly what Solomon is saying. It will produce emptiness and meaningless. Think of sharing everything you think about life with people, and it's wrong. That's a tremendous weight to carry. Verse 13, but it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are a shadow, because he does not fear before God. Again, so no matter how long or full the wicked man's life may seem to be, it's only like a, a prolonged, like a, like a shadow. It really has no substance. In fact, the shadows get longer as the sun is shining. Solomon might be suggesting here that the long life of the wicked man is but a, a prelude to his eternal darkness. What good is a long life if it's only a shadow going into the blackness of an eternal judgment forever and ever and ever? In Jude, a little epistle that we'll get to before Revelation, he was describing the doom of the apostates. In verse 12, he says, they are, these are spots in your love feast, while they feast in you, with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, waging waves of the sea, foaming up at, in their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. How should the wise person respond to the inequities and the injustices in the world? Certainly, we should do all that we should be doing to pass good laws and, and, and to, to elect the right people to enforce the laws that would most reflect God and his Word throughout our land. Amen? We need to be informed on the issues of our day. We need to be ready to bring God's Word into those issues. We need both in, in, in conversation and, and also by the way we live our lives. We need to be the voice in our homes. We need to be the voice in our communities. We need to be the voice in the church. We need to be the voice in the public square. We, we need to be the voice with our vote. We need to be the voice behind the right issues, not the voice behind the wrong issues. We, can I say that again? We need to be the voice behind the right issues. The sanctity of life. We talked about last week, we gave a good biblical argument of why every Christian should be very supportive of the nation of Israel. 
We should be the voice behind biblical marriage, behind biblical sexuality, behind biblical morality, behind biblical purity. And, 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 and in our, our, our series through 2 Peter chapter 2, going to chapter 3, we, we, we talked about how we also need to represent our voice with loving hearts. We represent a kingdom, not a party. Okay? You might be of a party, but be a kingdom kid in that party. Be a person that represents God's word as you're part of that party. We represent a loving king who allowed all authority that we see in power today. This is wisdom. This is, these are, this is something Solomon's thinking through. I know many, many Christians today, many people, Christians included, have less than positive, less than loving words to say about some of their political leaders from the president down. In a Christian setting, it was geared to get pastors to fight for their nation and to fight for our state last week. I sat down and I was really listening intently to these speakers calling several hundred pastors to fight, to not retreat. And they weren't mincing words. The speakers were not mincing words. They were saying what needs to be heard. And echoing through heavy hearts was a plea begging pastors, these pastors, to get back to doing what I'm doing right here. Teach the Bible. Would you please just get back to teaching the Bible? This is what our nation needs. This is what our state needs. One man said, we, 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 we pray for our president as he is one of those who has been given. God has allowed him this position. And he went on to talk about how so many Christians talk about that office and talk about the man as if God did not allow him to have that position. One guy got up and he just put it straight, straight at us in a great perspective. He says, when, when you start off with God for who he is and we begin to go through Genesis chapter 1 and we see he's the giver of life, life as we know it. He says, life is at the top of the list. The sanctity of life is very important to God. And this guy looked at all these pastors and he says, tomorrow our president, President Trump, will be the first president to speak at a March for Life event in Washington, D.C., and he just said it this. He said it this way. He goes, he has done more for the life of these innocent children than most pastors throughout America in their tenure. Doesn't matter where you're at with the man. He, he says, listen, I, I pray, too, that we all, especially him, would be, you know, slow to speak <laughs> and slow to tweet, you know. And, 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 and they, they, they just were, were cautioning us as pastors. And I received it very much so. 
to be careful to not look at these political figures and these leaders of our day in less of a light than what God would see them in. Not letting party or culture form how I should view that man in that office, whether it's a president or a governor or a, you know, I'm to pray for them. What happens when I pray for my, my leaders? I begin to gain the heart of God. Our president has formed a council. I think there's 10, maybe there's 12, I think. Apostles 12, you know, 12 in this one too. But 12 men, this, it's, a, it's a faith-based, like a, a support group around him of pastors. And one of them is a Calvary Chapel pastor. And he was sharing, and he said, you know, as with our president, and he says, I don't know that he's born again. He goes, I don't know that he's born again. But I know his convictions. And much like many of our founding fathers, there's a fear of God. They might not know him like we know him or walk with him like we walk with him, but, but he has a fear of God to where he looked at all of us the day before. And he says, you men, he says, I'm sitting across the table from him, and he goes, you men, if you will just go and teach people that book, our nation will be fine. That's a good thing. And he misquoted a scripture or something, but that's just, that's just part of it. And, and I'm saying this not to just go on some political limb here. I am saying this because it falls in line with what Solomon is saying right now. He's saying, if you begin to look at this world and take God out of the equation... You are not going to find meaning, you're not going to find fulfillment in life, and you're going to come to the wrong conclusions in every aspect of life. You just are. You just are. And we look at the Word of God, and, 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 and we bring God into the equation. You know, I, I think about how, how God used Samson. You know, we've got all these illustrations. God used you know, this, this man in a very unique way, but he was a very, a very unique man that had less than godly seasons in his life. And God would, would work on him, and God would use him. This, this, this man, the, a, a woman by, a, a prostitute, there would be a prostitute in the lineage of Jesus. You know, we think about this, and we think about how we would look at that person that God has chosen to use in this our day. Who would that be, whether it's a politician or anybody? And if they don't line up with how I believe a Christian should be, I can, I can rule God right out of the equation, and I, could, I, could, I can draw some conclusions that are very ungodly and, and absolutely not helpful in advancing his kingdom. I can't tell you how many Christians I have heard say from their mouth they hate our president because he doesn't line up with whatever. And, I, and I'm going to say this too. I've heard that from Christians in the previous administration and in the previous administrations. I've heard it every time we've had a president. Listen, Solomon is like, bring God into the equation. You see this? This, this is big. If 
if we have a political leader, if you have someone in authority over your life, that's what those first eight, nine verses were about in chapter eight. You respect them. You speak well of them. You recognize that it's God's appointment in your life, in my life. Certainly, we should do all we can to encourage, again, all of the right laws and, and, and to vote in all of the right people into power. But listen, we, we, we also must know that in doing this, it's not going to completely solve the problem. You understand that? Until, now we bring God in the equation. Until Jesus Christ comes. Remember, we just went through this, the millennial reign of Christ. And the king of kings and the Lord of lords sets up his kingdom on the earth. It's just not going to be right. Okay? We're going to have issues. Can you guys agree on that? All right, all right. Just making sure you're still with me here. It is one of the vanities of life. We must accept. We must accept it without becoming pessimistic or cynical. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will, that it will be well with those who fear God. Keep that in perspective. But it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity in verse 14, which occurs on earth, that there are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. Again, leaving God out of the equation, you're going to see contradictions in what we're seeing here is divine retribution. You're left seeing the righteous get what the wicked deserve, and you're left seeing, man, the wicked seem to get what the righteous deserve. Bring God in the equation, and you realize that, okay, wait a minute, it's different. Nobody's getting away with it. And you also realize that life is far better to be a God-fearing person and, and you rest in that. So, verse 15, I commended enjoyment because a man has nothing better under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry. For this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. Now, Solomon, again, is not advocating, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's the philosophy of fatalism, not the philosophy of faith. He's saying, thank God for what you do have and enjoy it to the glory of God. Recognize it's from God and enjoy it to the glory of God. Paul gave his approval to this attitude when exhorting us to trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy in 1 Timothy 6, 17. Solomon here says that not only were the blessings from God, but even the enjoyment of the blessings is a gift from God. Verse 16, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, even though one sees no sleep day or night. Then I saw all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. So, the person 
who has to know everything or the person who thinks they know everything is going to be very disappointed in this world. Solomon's like, this is, this is the wisest, next to Jesus Christ, this is the wisest guy. And he's like, just picture him scratching his head when he's saying this and just go, man, I've really, I put my heart into this. I've been thinking about this stuff. Through many difficult days, through many sleepless nights, I've applied myself diligently to the mysteries of life. In verse 16, when I applied my heart you know, to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, even though one sees no sleep day or night. So he's like, man, as I've tried to understand all of this and find the meaning of life, leaving God out of the equation, I've had a lot of sleepless nights. You know, without the realization that this is a fallen world, you're going to be confused, you will have no peace, and you will have no rest. Without the realization that God has a much bigger plan, plan of redemption, an eternal plan, confusion, no peace, and no rest. And Solomon here, as he's thinking about this, he, he comes to the conclusion that, look, man, as you know, I cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. In other words, when I just bring God out of the equation, I'm like, I just don't understand this. I, I, am, I am left confused. I am left with these sleepless nights. And when even when we begin to think about this, we might, we might figure out a piece of the puzzle here and a piece of the puzzle there, but there is so much about life leaving God out of the equation. We just don't understand. But when we bring God into the equation, we bring in the one who knows every piece of the puzzle, even the piece of the puzzle that fits in tomorrow that we don't see. And, 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 and that's, that, that's, that's the difference. God doesn't expect us to know the unknowable. He doesn't. What God expects us to know is what he's revealed to us. As I was counseling a young man last week, we were just sitting down talking, and, and the Lord is stirring his heart, and, and, and he's like, okay, what's next? He just was like, just newly saved, what's next? And I'm like, I could spend all day with you. This is great. Yeah. Okay, what's next is to obey what you know. Just, just, just obey what you know, because there's going to be so many things you don't know. But I don't believe God's going to like lavish all this stuff on you. And, and I believe this. I, I believe in, in John 17, there's a passage there where it talks about Jesus revealing more to those obeying and whatnot. I believe it's, it works this way. There are some things we'll just never know, okay? We're going to get to heaven and go, oh, for like two million years. There's just things we're never going to know on this side of eternity, okay? So just relax. It's okay. Then there's some things we don't know today that we might know tomorrow and we can know tomorrow. There's some things I understand right now in just epigenosis, my experiential knowledge with God that I didn't know in my teens. You say, well, Lance, you were much you know, younger. No, no, I was just more disobedient. There was just things I just didn't apply that over the years I began to apply. 
And, 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 and when I put those things into practice, that's when God began to reveal more. I believe that. And I wasn't being obedient just for more revelation. It's just the way it works. Because it's epigenosis. It's an experiential knowledge. It's the desire of him. It's the desire of wanting more of him. And as he reveals more of himself to me, he's going to reveal more of his word to me, more understanding. He's going to re reveal more of myself to me. That's not always a good thing. It's a hard thing. I was talking to someone recently about just the journey of life, and they're like, well, how many years have you been doing this? And I, and I well, have you always been a student? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and some of my high school teachers that come here, they you know, he wasn't. And I laugh. I go, you know, God has a sense of humor. But I was thinking about this this week. That I can never remember a season, and I mean this, I'm just gonna, this is just my life. But I can never remember a season where this got old. I just, uh, yeah, days maybe, you know, you got the flu for a couple of weeks, this is old. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I just, and people like the study part, and, and the, the, it just has never gotten old. Relationships that are described that way are the result of someone in that relationship. They stop pursuing the other in that relationship. Have I had times where I should have been more pursuant and passionate about Jesus? Absolutely. Same with you. But we can go through life not understanding all of the mysteries of life because there is a God who knows all of that. And we're like, I don't have to know it all. I just need to be faithful with what he has given me. Can you rest in that? I, I, I don't know how the Lord works with this whole like political governmental thing called America you know, that we're living in. I don't know. I don't know how he works in all that. I just, I, I look at his word and I say, okay, there is no given authority, no person in authority that you have not allowed. Somehow, you're in this. And because God allows it, it is so. And I bring God into that, and now I have a reverence and a respect for that. Take God out of that, I might not have a reverence or respect for that. That could be said of marriage. That could be said of ministry. That could be said of any aspect of life. And that's the point that Solomon was making. He's like, I just, I just saw the inequity. I saw the unfairness of life. And it didn't make sense. When I tried to understand all the meanings of life, I couldn't sleep. I was confused. But you bring God into the equation. And man, it makes sense. You realize that life has meaning, that life has purpose, life has hope. And you can rest in the fact that, that God will reveal what you need to know, and until you need to know more, he won't. You just rest in that. God will give you what you, are, what you need for today. I am so sure of that, because his word promises that. Let's pray. Father, I'm so glad 
And as your kids, we do not have to explain every mystery and solve every problem. Because we love you, the one who knows every mystery (laughs) and is the solution to every problem. We are so grateful that there's justice in this world because you are the just God. We are grateful that we have your word that helps bring clarity to authority, to injustice, and even to misery. We are so grateful that we have your word that brings clarity and brings hope. And, and we know that, that wisdom is not the accumulation of knowledge, as we've talked about. But wisdom is the appropriate use of knowledge. So what we have taken in right now, the, the knowledge and the truth that we have taken in from your word tonight, help us to apply it so that we become wise, more wise. Help us, Lord, to apply this to where we are seen as wise people, not as people of our culture or people of a party or people that are just following the trends, but they would, we would be seen as people of the king that are from a different order, <laughs> we are following the king, and we are, we are about his kingdom. And, and, that, and that king, Jesus, you are sitting on the throne of our life. And may we have that which marks our lives. And may people see the wisdom that emanates from your lordship over our life, from the peace that we have, from the sleep-filled nights that we have, <laughs> from the rest that we have, even in the midst of crisis, for the hope that we have, even in a world that has lost its hope. From the truth that we have, because we have been set free from this world and from the snare of the enemy, because of you and your word, we have been set free. And we thank you for that. And we love you and we pray this in Jesus, your name. Amen and amen.